I'm going to turn your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. We've been walking through Habakkuk for a couple of weeks to answer those struggles that we have in life about the questions that we have in life and the ways that we struggle and the ways that we cry out to God. And we ask those questions of, Lord, do you hear? And how long, Lord? One of Habakkuk's questions was, God, why do you look at all the wrong that's around me? The wrong of Habakkuk's countrymen is they treated each other with injustice. These are God's people in Judah, and they were treating each other treacherously and deceitfully, and there was no justice. And God says to Habakkuk, I see the wickedness of the people, so I'm going to bring an even more wicked nation in to bring punishment on this wicked people. And Habakkuk asked some more questions. And the Lord says, trust me, live by faith in verse 4 of chapter 2. The righteous shall live by his faith. And so Habakkuk says, in this, I want you just simply to trust me. And then Habakkuk says, for how long? They're like a fisherman who scoops up the fish in the dragnet and then empties the net and then fishes some more. And so God, in this dialogue between Habakkuk and and the Lord, we see this going back and this forth. And in one sense, God says, I got it taken care of. But in another sense, Habakkuk still wrestles. And so we come now to chapter 2 as we work our way through the book. And this is where God says, Habakkuk, I see and I want you to deliver this psalm of taunting. It's really a taunt song. It's a song with scoffs and riddles. It was a proverbial chant used as an object of scorn. And so whenever you see the word woe in the scripture, it's a declaration of a prophet that conveys that a certain thing is going to happen. There's a finality about what's going to happen. And the thing that is going to happen will not be good. Now these woes can be woeful as we read through them, kind of like the genealogies. We just go through them and our eyes glaze over and we just hear the imagery and we hear the woes. But I want us to keep it in the context of the book of Habakkuk. This is God saying, I see the Babylonians and I want you to compose this psalm, this taunting psalm against them. So let's look, we walk through it at what it says. Habakkuk chapter 2. Starting in verse 6. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him? Who's the him? It's the one who is the dragnet, the Babylonians that scoop in the fish. They empty it and they scoop in some more. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. For how long? And loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them. Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant of the people shall plunder you. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, the cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house by cutting off many peoples. You have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, is it not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. 
and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrified them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What profit is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Now, hopefully your eyes didn't glaze over in woe after reading all those woes. But in summary, here is what God says. There is things that he notices about the Babylonians. And the first one is the ill-gotten gain of the Babylonians. He has this, denounces this imperialistic behavior of the Babylonians. Habakkuk is taunting them and mocking them for their ill-gotten gains. Those, he says, who've got rich by plunder, guess what's going to happen to them? They're going to be plundered. This next woe is that the unjust gain, those who have built on the profits of crime, those who have, have unjustly acquired those things, those who have built on unjust gain will be brought to shame. Babylon will build its house with stolen stones and from stolen lumber. And this involved the bloodshed and injustice or it involved slave labor. And so what God says is, I see that and I'm going to take all of that that you gathered and I want to make that food, fuel for the fire. And Persia is going to then topple Babylon later with the very things that they accumulated the, first, the third woe is, is building with iniquity. Nothing that's built by violence will last. God will use it for matchwood. And so God says, I see what the Babylonians are doing. They will be devastated. They, will, uh, they gloat over their treasures. Look at all the things that we acquired. And God says, you know all those things you acquired? Your enemies are going to use those things against you to build siege works against you. The very things you acquired through this iniquity are going to be used against you. And then woe four is about the exploitation of others. The wicked not only engage in perversion, but they also lead others to do the same thing. They provided their neighbors intoxicants in order to exploit their inebriated lack of decency. It's the exploitation of, of others. It's using others for gain. We see that today with pornography and sex trafficking and drugs. One person exploiting another person for their gain. And God says, I see that. All those things are going to be turned against you. And then the, the woe five is speechless idols. You kind of have to laugh at this imagery. Habakkuk says in uh, verses 18 to 20, that they create these idols that can't speak, and then they say, arise, awake, I want to get some wisdom from you. And so in this dialogue with God in Habakkuk, God says, yes, there is a woe that's coming to the Babylonians. Remember, Habakkuk's confusion was this, Lord, your people are treacherous, will you do something about it? And God says, yes, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to bring a more treacherous people to judge the treacherous people. And Habakkuk couldn't get his mind around it. Lord, why, how are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Are you sure you know what you're doing? And God says, Habakkuk, I got this. You live by faith. You remain faithful to me. I see what the Babylonians are doing. Everything they're doing is going to come back against them. But the problem is it's not now. It's not today. It is a waiting time. But did you notice that there's two statements in this uh, passage of Habakkuk that affect all the earth? 
And these are the things that are instructive for us as well as we wrestle with the questions of life, as we look at the injustices of life, and we say, Lord, do you hear? Lord, why are you silent? Why are you far off? Why are you not doing anything? Can't you see all these things around us? And in the midst of those, God gives two verses that say something's going to happen to all the earth. The first one is in verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the first thing that's instructed for us as we live in places where we are just exasperated and we are questioning and we are struggling and we see all the things around us, God says this. He says, be filled with the knowledge of what? Of the glory of God. What is this? This is wisdom in our woefulness. This is wisdom. We are to be filled with the wisdom. We are to know God's glory more than the works of the wicked. God says those who trust in their possessions that they acquired illegitimately and through injustice are going to be used against them. Habakkuk's faith in God is evident that he's going to trust that God will prevail. Isaiah eleven nine says this, They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. When the Bible talks about the knowledge of the Lord, it's not just knowledge of Him, but it's knowing Him. It's, it's loving Him. It's relating to Him. It's not just having an intellectual knowledge, but it's knowing Him intimately in a relationship with Him. And so Isaiah says that we have this knowledge of the Lord. And Habakkuk says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. It's not just that it gets stuck in our head, but there's a knowledge that, uh, that moves our affections, that, that moves our heart. You know, glory is, a, is that outward manifestation of God's power. Exodus chapter 40, when God led the Israelites through the wilderness, it was a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And it was God's glory. Exodus 40 verse 34, the cloud covered the tent of the meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 3, Isaiah has this great image of the temple of the Lord. And we, one being calls out to another being, being, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the middle of these woes, Habakkuk says this, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. We need to know God's glory more than the works of the wicked. We are experts in wickedness. Not that we necessarily practice it ourselves, but we just love the juicy stuff. We love the good stuff, which is really bad, but we are filled with the knowledge. Think about all the things that are in the news, all the things that we read, all the, all the news that's fit to print generally isn't good news. It's what? It's all terrible, horrible stuff. And we are so well acquainted with what the wicked are doing. And what happens when we are so acquainted with the wicked? What happens to us? We feel overwhelmed. But Habakkuk says, the whole earth, the earth will be filled with what? The knowledge of the glory of God. And so what it means is that eventually this, the wickedness will be taken care of. God's glory will fill the earth. In verse 16, he says, you, the Babylonians, you will have your fill of shame instead of glory. There's a contrast between being a mindful of shameful things and mindful of the glory of God. In fact, Paul says in the New Testament, it is, don't even speak about what the, 
unrighteous do in private. But we are so good at knowing about the wicked. We are so good at hearing all the dirt on everything that's going on. And in the middle of all these woes, the uh, Habakkuk says to be filled with what? The knowledge of the glory of God. So how is God's glory visible in the earth? How is God's glory visible in all of the earth? Because we, in a sense, are in that waiting place like Habakkuk. Habakkuk saw that the wickedness of his people and the Babylonians were going to come, and we're kind of in that same place. We see the wickedness of the world around us, and we're waiting for the return of Jesus. And so in that waiting time, we are very much waiting, just like Habakkuk was, because it was going to be another 20 years until the Babylonians came and fulfilled God's word. And so in those waiting moments, like we are waiting for Jesus to return and everything to be set correct and everything to be set straight, all the scales to be balanced, we are waiting, and Habakkuk reminds us to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. So how are we in this waiting time filled with the knowledge of the glory of God? Fortunately, the Bible tells us. Turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul tells us how we are filled with the glory of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, um, let's start in verse uh, 5. For what we proclaim, Paul says, is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, listen, has shown in our hearts to give the light, what does that say? Of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See what Paul just said? He said, in us, Jesus in us, the gospel, the good news of the gospel is what? It is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. The very same phrase that Habakkuk uses. Habakkuk was looking for a kind of glory that God would overthrow his enemies. But Paul says, we have a glory in us and the glory is the light of Christ in us. But Paul goes on and here's why it's a struggle. But, verse 7, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, Paul doesn't say we have this treasure in nice silver vessels. We don't have this treasure in golden vessels. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why did he say clay? Because clay is fragile. Clay is brittle. Clay will break. Clay will crumble. And Paul says, you and I have this treasure. What is the treasure? The light of the glory of God. But they're in these jars of clay. You and I are jars of clay. You're cutting vegetables for dinner, and the knife slips, and there goes the tip of your finger. Jar of clay. You bend over to put on your shoes, and your back goes out. Jar of clay. Your teeth fall out. Your hair falls out. Your face starts to sag because of gravity. What happens? Jars of clay. And eventually, this jar of clay will give up the ghost. And that's where we are. And so Paul says, we, have this, we are in this jar of clay. We are, we are frail, fragile people. But inside of that is the knowledge of the glory of God. But look what he says. And this speaks to us as we live in these jars of clay. 
with other people who are jars of clay, in this world that is falling apart, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. See what Paul says? We have in us, in these jars of clay, these frail beings that we are, that we make mistakes and we blow it and we sin and our bodies literally are frail. Inside of that, there is a knowledge of the glory of God. There's Jesus in us. There's the hope of the gospel. And so whatever happens on the outside, we are not crushed on the inside. That's what he says. We have this frail vessel, but there's this power of the gospel inside of us. And so we are afflicted, but we're not crushed. Oh, man, that should be good news for you today. Afflicted. We are all afflicted. We've all got problems. We've all got personalities that are problems. We've all got situations. We've all got things we wish would go away. We've all got things that are bearing down on us. We all got things that are weighty and heavy and just that are just on us. But what does Paul say? In that, what? We are afflicted, but we're not crushed. Have you ever experienced that with Jesus? Absolutely. The world is pressing in the circumstances, but with the knowledge of the glory of God in us, we are not crushed. He says, we're perplexed. Have you ever been perplexed? Habakkuk was perplexed. You know what perplexed is? Perplexed is, I can't understand this. I have no idea why this is happening. Paul says, yeah, we're perplexed. What? We're perplexed on the outside, but we're not driven to despair because there's this power in us. It's the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And so Habakkuk says that we need to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. We are filled with the glory of God when Jesus is in us. You are the temple now. You are the dwelling place of God. When you are in Christ, Jesus' spirit lives in you. And so when we struggle and we wrestle, we're filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. The second thing that Habakkuk says is this, that we are to be silent before God. Look down at uh, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple, but all the earth keeps silence before him. Worship in silent awe before the one who seems silent but can actually speak. You know what Habakkuk did? Habakkuk says that a maker shapes an idol and maybe even makes it nice and pretty, overlays it with gold and silver. But the problem is the idol has no breath. The idol can't speak. And isn't that Habakkuk's wrestling throughout the book is, Lord, I'm speaking to you. Why are you not speaking? Why are you not working? Why are you not doing something? And the Lord says to Habakkuk, yeah, people do this all the time, not just with me, but with idols that they make. We make the thing we depend on, and then we want to speak to us. We want, us, we want to, to give us uh, wisdom, the maker trust in his own creation. We make speechless idols. And isn't this the struggle in Habakkuk? Habakkuk is, is talking, and God is answering. And Habakkuk is talking, and God is answering. And then he says, be silent before me. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Isaiah 41 says, Listen to me in silence. Let the peoples renew their strength. Let them approach, then let them speak. Let us draw near for judgment. It's not the silence. When we are silent before God, it is not the silent, the silence of inanimate objects that can't speak. Habakkuk just made those comparisons. But we are silent before God in wonder. We can wonder in a couple of ways. The wonder that Habakkuk is talking about is that jaw-dropping awe. When's the last time your jaw just dropped when you thought about the Lord? Wow. Wow. One of the things as we get older, we lose our sense of wonder. Little kids are in a state of wonder all the time. And we train it out of them. We don't want them to wonder. We don't want them to be curious. We want them to have answers and to have all their questions answered. And we don't want them to be curious. But but God wants us to be curious. God wants us to wonder. The heavens declare what? The glory of the Lord. And we go outside and we're like, We wonder, in wonder, that's that jaw-dropping awe. That's what Habakkuk is talking about. Let all the earth keep silent, in silent wonder. But the other way that we wonder is through questioning. Wonder why God isn't doing this. I wonder if God hears me. I wonder why this situation is happening. I wonder how this is going to turn out. I wonder why she doesn't talk to me. I wonder why he doesn't talk to me. I wonder why she does talk to me. I wonder why he talks to me. I wonder why they won't, won't. both be quiet. We wonder through our questioning, or we can wonder through our worship. And Habakkuk was in that mode where he was just wondering, Lord, are, are you, how long shall I cry for help? I wonder how long I'm going to have to cry for help. Oh, Lord, do you hear? I wonder why the Lord doesn't hear. And in chapter 2 and verse 20, there's this thing, wait, just be silent. Just be silent. John Wesley had observed a disagreement between two women, and one was speaking vehemently and gesturing wildly, while the other one stood perfectly still, tranquil and unperturbed. Finally, the first woman stopped her foot and shouted, Speak, so I can have something more to say to you. And Wesley commented, That was a lesson to me. Silence is often the best answer. Do you know why I think God is silent sometimes? Because we'll just keep arguing. That's what Habakkuk did. Habakkuk was questioning God. God, don't you see the injustice? And God said, yes, I do. I'm sending the Babylonians. And then Habakkuk is like, Lord, are you really sure you know what you're doing? And oftentimes God is silent because the more he answers the questions with ways that we don't understand, what do we do? We just keep on asking questions and we start arguing and we start questioning more. And so God in his silence is often the best answer because he just wants us to shut up. And when he talks, we feel like we have to talk. And he talks. See how that works? And so there's this silence before the Lord. We're just in this awe, just in this jaw-dropping awe. We say, Lord, I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to rest. Be still. Psalm 46, you know, literally that means cease your striving. It means be still. Don't be moving. Like a hummingbird at the feeder. But if you ever see a hummingbird land, they do, they stop, they're fluttering. And you can see, right, that's what God says. He said, I don't want you fluttering around that thing all, just be still. Stop the movement. And then what will happen? Be still and know 
that I am God. And so in the questioning and in all the wrestling that we do, yes, we question. Yes, we can ask God. Habakkuk shows us that there's nothing wrong with asking God questions. But sometimes when God gives us silence as an answer, we just need to be still and silent ourselves and say, Lord, what's the silence? What are you doing in my life? Here's a temptation, though. God's silence can lead to idolatry. That's why Habakkuk is talking about these idols. Because when God is silent, all of a sudden we try to fill it in with something else. I didn't hear from God, and so I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to do it my way, and I'm going to try to figure this out. And the Lord's like, wait a minute, I'm silent for a reason. I want you to be still. We have to tell our kids that all the time, don't we? Of course, kids are wired that way. They're fidgety and their muscles are growing and they have to... But God says, be still. Be still. Be silent before me. And you may learn some more in your silence than you learn in your questioning. But when God doesn't fill the void, we start to fill it. So in the Old Testament, Moses went up on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And the people uh, were at the base of the mountain and they were camping out they were doing some s'mores and doing all kinds of stuff. And what did they say? This man, Moses, has been gone a long time. We better take matters into our own hands. So everybody, give us your jewelry. Give us all your gold. And they fashioned a calf, reminiscent of one of the gods in the land of Egypt that they just left. Moses came down from the mountain, and he heard a sound. They thought it was a war, but it was really a party. And what they were doing, they were worshiping this calf. And Moses says to Aaron, what have you done? And Aaron's like, I don't know what happened. I just threw the eggs and the flour in the oven, and out came this cake. I don't know how it happened. What did they do? They filled the silence, the delay. When Moses was gone, they wanted to fill it with an idol. We do the same thing. Man, Lord, you're not moving here. So whatever, what's my idol? My idol might be a relationship. My idol might be success. My idol might be security of money. My idol might be approval of others. My idol, whatever that is, I can fill that in and I'm not being silent. You see, our idols are not made of wood and stone, but they're money, talents. And in an increasingly secular world, they're the solutions of people. Lord, I'm tired of waiting for you. I'm going to Google it. Yesterday at men's breakfast, we decided that Google was the new God. All you have to do is Google it, and you'll get your answer. And God says, wait, I want you to be silent. Don't be Googling it. That's an idol that can't speak. I'm the idol that can speak. You have faith in me. And we create these idols. We want these answers. We want things that will speak. And the irony is, you have to think about how crazy this is. The people were making idols to get an answer, but they couldn't speak. They made this thing. They set it down. And they want to get their wisdom from it. And it doesn't say a word. It's breathless. But God is the one who can speak. Ian Lamott said this. The difference between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. Let me say that again. Went right over your head. The difference between you and God is that God doesn't think he's you. You think you're God is the problem. And so we create these idols. So we have these wrestlings. We have these things in our lives. And Habakkuk says, you be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, the gospel in you. 
you be silent before God. So we have these assurances of faith, though, that are in the New Testament. And there's a couple in, specific, uh, in the Bible. And there's a couple as it relates to our struggling with the questions. And the first one is this. And I want you to be assured with this today. Your prayers arise even when heaven is silent. How do we know? Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 to 5 says this. Then the Lamb opened the seventh seal. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Did you hear what they just said, in, in, what the John just said in Revelation? What, was, what happened in heaven for half an hour? Silence. There's silence. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with what? The prayers of the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Silence in heaven, but the prayers are still arising. Your prayers through the mediation of Jesus are still getting to the Father, even though it seems silent. There's a great verse in verse 5. There's action. They, the angel took the censer and filled it with fire and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder and rumblings and flash of lightning, kind of like we experienced this morning. The time for action came, but in the meantime, there was that silence. Listen, your prayers are that incense. They're rising even though heaven seems silent. Revelation 8 says those two things are happening at the same time. There's silence, but there's also prayers. Oswald Chambers said this, True intercession involves bringing the person or the circumstance that seems to be crashing in on you before God until you are changed by his attitude toward that person or the circumstance. That'll revolutionize your prayers. You keep bringing that circumstance before God, that thing that's crashing in on you, until you are changed by God's attitude toward that person or the circumstance. Listen, God always wants to change us and sometimes the circumstance. Always. We can take it to the bank. He always wants to change us and sometimes the circumstance. But you know how we live? We want God to always change the circumstance and sometimes change us. That's not how it works. Our theology is not lining up with reality. God always wants to change us. And yes, sometimes he'll change the circumstance, but we live as, as if God should always change the circumstance and I can be the same old me that I've always been. That's not how God works. Intercession is we keep praying and praying and praying until by the power of God, our attitude is changed toward that person or the circumstance. Oh man, we love, we love treating people like voodoo dolls with the Lord. Lord, will you please change this person? Will you please do this? And God's like, yes, I'm going to change somebody in this situation. It's going to be you. It's going to be you in that circumstance. That's what Habakkuk was doing. Habakkuk was being changed in the middle of this circumstance. And so your assurance is this, that your prayers arise even though heaven seems silent. And the great work that God wants to do is to change us in the middle of our circumstance. Would you still worship and love God if he never changed a single circumstance in your life? Would you still gather and praise him for being good if he never changed a circumstance in your life? We can when we allow him to change us because our prayers get through. Even though heaven is silent, God still hears because God is not an idol of wood and stone that cannot speak and that cannot hear. 
Now there's another good story about God's silence. Turn back in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 16. In the Old Testament, God had promised Abram, who later became Abraham, and Sarai, his wife, who later became Sarah. So God goes to Abram and he says, Abram, I have chosen you and you are going to be the father of many nations. Through you, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the sands on the seashore and the stars in the sky. There's only one problem. Abram and Sarai did not have any children. And Abram and Sarai, in this situation, remember, our waiting time is the difference between God giving a promise and when it's fulfilled. That's where we are. We're in this waiting time. We have a promise that Jesus is going to return. But the waiting time is between that we receive the promise and until he actually comes. And that, that waiting time is where we're tested. That's where we live by faith. Abraham, Abram and Sarai were in this position. They had the promise, but they were waiting. And like we do, they decided to take matters in their own hands. We're tired of this waiting. We're going to make an idol of our own ingenuity. We are going to substitute the living God of the universe for a plan of our own. And so here is this wonderful plan. Sarai had a maidservant named Hagar. And Sarai and Abraham said, Hey, Abraham, why don't you take Hagar and get her pregnant? Now, what could possibly go wrong with this situation? Everything. Sarai was jealous, mistreated Hagar, was upset, and ran Hagar out of the house. And so we get to Genesis chapter 16 and verse 7. This is where Hagar is. The angel of the Lord found her, that's Hagar, by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for a multitude. Angel encourages her, telling her that she will have a son. He's going to be a wild donkey of a man. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure I want a son who's a wild donkey of a man. I want the calm, gentle, lamb-type son. But anyhow, this is the man that Hagar is going to have. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. Look what she called him. You are a God of, what's that word? Seeing. Isn't that great? Here is Hagar, who was exploited, just like the woes that Habakkuk was talking about. She was exploited and used by Sarai and Abram to to, uh, intercede and intervene before God's plan. And here she is. And she is in this place of woe. And the Lord comes to her. And what does she say? You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly, here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called Beer Lahai Roy, and it means the God who sees. Isn't that great? Here is Hagar, who was in a situation not of her making, and the Lord who sees saw her. Do you ever, feel, do you ever wonder if the Lord sees you? When heaven is silent, this thing has happened, situations have happened, you're in this place in life, and you feel so very alone, and you feel mistreated, and you feel often like Hagar, and you say, Lord, 
Do you even see me? Lord, do you, do you know what I'm struggling with? Those are the honest questions that Habakkuk was asking. Those are the honest questions that we ask as well. And the story of Hagar teaches us that God is the God of seeing. God is never surprised where you are, and he never loses track of where you are. God doesn't need a GPS on each one of us. He already knows where we are. He is the God of seeing. What's the first line in the book, Moby Dick? Anybody remember? It's not Call Me Ishmael. That's the third chapter of the book. There's actually two introductory chapters, but you're right. It is Call Me Ishmael. Who's Ishmael? The son of Hagar. Listen to what it says. Call me Ishmael. And listen to this guy. Whenever I find myself growing grim about the mouth, whenever it is a damp, drizzly November in my soul, have you ever been there? A damp, drizzly November in your soul? Whenever I find myself involuntarily pausing before coffin warehouses and bringing up the rear of every funeral I meet, and especially whenever my hypos get such an upper hand of me, it requires a strong moral, moral principle to prevent me from deliberately stepping into the street. He's suicidal and methodically knocking people's hats off. I count it high time to get to see as soon as I can. That is my substitute for pistol and ball. Here's a guy whose name is Ishmael saying, my, I get so low in life, I just want to knock people's hats off. I want to smack them in the face. I want to punch them. We've all, look, we've all been there. We all have our smack list. Come on, let's be honest. We all have that person. We wouldn't mind them stepping off the sidewalk in front of our cars. We're driving along. We all have that. And that's where Ishmael was in Moby Dick. And he says, so what do I do? I remedy it by going out to sea. And what happens? When he goes to sea, he meets a big fish. See, his solution ended up being a problem, just like Abram's and Sarai's, and just like yours and mine. When we don't wait on the Lord, when we're not silent before the Lord, we take matters into our own hands, we think, I'm going to have an idol, I'm going to do something different besides going to the Lord, and it never turns out well. Do you know Ishmael means God hears? Ishmael means that God sees you. So not only in Moby Dick should we say, call me Ishmael, but all of us should say, well, call me Ishmael. God sees me. God hears me. The taunt song in Habakkuk is recounting all the things the Babylonians did that were to come back on them. Listen, Jesus is the answer to God's gloom, to the gloom of this world. Jesus is the answer to the woes of your life. Habakkuk says the glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is going to fill the earth. And in John chapter 17, Jesus says this, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, what does he say? And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world, they are, were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. You know what God did? God saw us in the wilderness of this life. Kicked out, exploited, abused, mistreated. All the woes that we see in Habakkuk. All the things that Hagar experienced. God 
sees and God saw, and it seemed like heaven was silent. It seemed like he wasn't doing anything. And from the end of the Old Testament until 400 years, the beginning of the New Testament, we hear, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. God is not silent. God sees. God hears wherever that place is, that wilderness that we may find ourselves in life. God looks down and he says, I see you. I see you. Will you live by faith? Will you trust me? Will you be silent before me and allow me to handle this? Because if you don't allow me to handle this, you're going to try to handle it yourself and you are going to end up in a far worse situation. You're going to be, end up in the sea being taunted by a huge whale. You're going to end up being uh, taking matters into your own hand. And like Abram and Sarah, you, you're going to mess it up. Could, could, can you just wait on me? That's what God's asking. God says, I see you. I hear you. If he did that for Hagar, he does that for you. How do we know? Because Jesus came. Jesus was God coming. That he, he is a God of seeing. Habakkuk was struggling and we struggle. Lord, do you see? Do you hear? Are you going to work? And God, in his wisdom, in his time, says, yes, I'm working. You live by faith. You know who I am. You see, Jesus is God's answer to the woe of the brokenness of this world. Listen, God is closer than you think. He's here. And in our confusion, and in our brokenness, and in our struggling, and in our, in our uh, being forced out like Hagar in a wilderness want. It's hard for us to understand that, that God is close, but he is. He answers Habakkuk and he says, I see all that. And all that stuff is going to come back on them. I see you in that place where you are, whatever that wilderness is, just like I saw Hagar, I see you. But Lord, how, why, when? Jesus but Lord, do you really understand? Yes, Jesus. Lord, do you really see me? Yes, Jesus. Lord, do you hear me? Yes, Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the woes of this world. God saw us. And because of Jesus, we now can be filled with the gospel, the knowledge of the glory of God. Amen. I don't know if you're running from Abram and Sarai today, if you're at that place in your life, at that place in the wilderness but god sees you your prayers arise even when heaven seems silent and god sees you we see his glory we know his glory and we are silent in wonder before him we're gonna have an opportunity to pray to sing if you have a prayer need the guys will meet you in the back to your right listen all of us in this place today have been or are in or will be in those places where we feel that God doesn't see, that God doesn't hear, that God doesn't understand, that God doesn't know, but he does. It all comes down to Jesus. Jesus is the glory of God in human form. 
And when we are in Christ, that glory then lives in us. Would you please stand and we're going to pray. Father, we wrestle just like Habakkuk did. We wrestle with knowing, do you hear? Can you save? But God, we thank you for the assurance of Jesus. That the glory of God in us. And God, all of us at times, and maybe this morning, are finding ourselves at that place Lord, do you see? Do you hear? God says, yes, I see you and I hear you. So God, over these next few moments, as we have opportunity to reflect, an opportunity to commit, an opportunity to uh, just really open our hearts before you and just in wonder, say, Lord, thank you. You're the God who sees and the God who hears. So Father, these next few moments, as we surrender and submit to you the God who is closer than we think or can imagine. We open our eyes to see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.